A New City Church is, will be celebrating its 10th anniversary in March this year. Uh, Aji and I, we began planting New City in uh, 2013. Our very first uh, pre-gathering kind of event was a Good Friday gathering on, on March 2013. And we met on Friday evenings and then we began uh, to meet Sunday morning. We started Sunday morning worship from January 2015. Uh, but the very beginning of the journey of planting New City Church uh, began in March 2013. And so March 23 will be our 10th uh, anniversary. So if I look back, as we look back at the last 10 years, uh, I, will say, I would say without any hesitation that the single biggest thing that we've focused on over the last 10 years is building a gospel DNA. What do I mean by that? Simply put, as a church and as individuals who are part of the church, we want to live on the strength of the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We want all of our life and all of our ministry and all of our careers and all, of, all aspects of our lives to be completely rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So the last 10 years, the single biggest thing we did was to build a gospel DNA. And I've been reflecting on what the next 10 years could look like. And one of the things I do believe is in God's blueprint, God's design for the church, as we look at the next 10 years, is we want to build, nurture all of us together. We want to build gospel leaders. If you look at the past 2,000 years of human history, the church has been the most prolific leadership development factory in the world. Think about it. Think about one institution which has flourished over 2,000 years predominantly through building leaders. Jesus began the journey by building the 12 apostles to be leaders and they built other leaders and they built other leaders and they built other leaders. And so if you look at this, this, this completely inorganic organism, you can't even church, call the church an organization, it's an organism, it's flourished through the building of leaders. So leadership development, nurturing leaders, godly leaders is at the core of what God, one of the th core things that God has called the church to do. And so beginning today, we want to talk a lot about um, godly leaders and how as a church, together, all of us, we want to see more leaders built to serve God's kingdom, not just within the walls of the church, but also out there in the world. Um, so the scripture passage that I want to look at this morning as we reflect on leadership development is, or the calling of leaders is Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. Very familiar passage. It'll come up for a screen, on screen. If you have your Bibles, physical Bibles, uh, digital Bibles, feel free to refer to that as well. Allow me to read the passage. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on to Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into the boats, uh, which was Simon's, also known as Peter, 
um, he asked him, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land and Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, uh, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in their boats to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, uh, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that has been transforming lives, revealing God to his people and building leaders for over 2,000 years. We come under this word of God. We come under the teaching of this word of God this morning. This passage is about how Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John into leadership. All four of them and eight other men that Jesus called to be apostles went on to be amazing leaders. So this passage is, is, is very much about the calling of leaders. And this passage gives us five non-negotiable qualities that God builds in every leader he chooses. I hope you caught the nuance in what I said. Uh, I did not say that God will call people with these five qualities. That's not what I said. What I said was that God will call and build these five qualities into everyone, every leader he chooses. So it's important to understand the sequence of how the grace of God works. It is God who calls leaders, and it is God who makes leaders. And so here are the five um, qualities, non-negotiable qualities of a leader that we're going to see from this passage. The first one will come for us on screen, living for Christ, or just Christ. Calling, character, competence, and community. So Christ, calling, character, competence and community those are five non-negotiable things that god will build into every leader that he calls and these five characteristics are applicable in all spheres of of leaders all, all spheres of leadership all spheres of life it's applicable in the family it's applicable in the church it's applicable in your career wherever you are so let's look at these, these five. I, I have these cards. We have these cards printed out. And uh, at the back of the card, if you want to take any just personal reflections, take down, note down anything that God might be calling your attention to, please feel free to do that. Let's look at each of these five. The first one 
is living for Christ. For those of us who are believers and followers of Jesus, all of our leadership is about the glory of Jesus. He is at the very center of our lives. He is the reason we exist. In Him, we have our being. In Christ, we do all our doing. And apart from Christ, there is nothing. Godly leaders live for Christ. And so that's, therefore, living for Christ is obviously the most important of the five qualities. So I'm going to save the best for the last. I'm going to circle back to this quality right at the end. Let's look at the second non-negotiable quality of a leader, calling. Every leader must be called by God. No one can be a leader unless he or she is called by God. Look at this passage. Look at verses 1 and 2. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. So imagine this. There's a crowd which is pushing in on Jesus. Jesus is looking at the crowd. The crowd is looking at Jesus. But at the periphery of Jesus' vision, and at the periphery of this entire incident, there are a few fishermen. And uh, there are two boats. The boats are empty because the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. The crowd was pursuing Jesus. These fishermen were just having a bad day at their work. They had worked all night and they had caught nothing. They were not looking to Jesus. They were not coming to listen to what Jesus was, was teaching. But in this instant, I I find this really intriguing, in this instance, Jesus did not call anyone from the crowd to leadership, but he called Peter and Andrew and James and John, the four fishermen there, to leadership. Leaders don't pick themselves. They are called by God. And leadership is not a position to achieve. Leadership is a calling to receive. All through the Bible, every single person who was in any role of leadership was specifically called by God. Noah was specifically called by God. Abraham, specifically called by God. Moses, Samuel, Saul, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the 12 apostles, uh, the apostle Paul, and almost every single leader was called by God. Leaders don't pick themselves. They are called my God. Let's bring this home practically uh, into our hearts by, by really answering an extremely practical question. In this day and age, what does it mean to be called by God? Uh, we can safely say that in God's sovereign good pleasure, uh, He uh, rarely calls leaders with an audible voice. When Ajay and I, we began planting, God did not speak to us in an audible voice and call us to plant New City Church. That, that did not happen. And it doesn't happen to, to most leaders. God speaks in different ways. So how do you know if God is calling you to some kind of leadership in the church, in your career, wherever it may be? Two things must happen simultaneously to confirm God's call on you to leadership. First, there must, you must experience 
a consistent internal sanctified desire for leadership towards leadership specific leadership and you must also hear external godly affirmation seconding that so internal desire external affirmation and i kind of complicated internal desire a little bit i kind of added consistent sanctified internal desire it's important uh, you know i i'm a very impulsive person and I, i love ideas i love launching new projects and the best way i can tell a project is from god or not if it's not from god it fizzles out generally in 2 3 weeks and i i do that a lot if you've known me any length of time uh it's an area of growth for me if god is really placing a desire a call in your heart it will refuse to go away you will find the grace and the strength and the courage to prioritize that you will find the grace to be willing to make joyful sacrifices to move towards that so consistent internal desire and sanctified internal desire not all things we feel strongly about is from god uh, the reality is for all of us myself first the things we feel most strongly about are our idolatries selfish uh things in which we seek our own glory uh, things we all where we operate in our self reliance for our sake that's generally where we see a lot of strong things so sanctified desire is important we need to be able to discern is this really god or is this just my selfish flesh and then there must be external affirmation a god's design for all of us is that we would live in the context of a gospel community the the local church and so if you feel god calling you to something other godly leaders in gospel community in the gospel community you truly belong to must be affirming the internal desire that you are feeling and god rarely speaks to a person calls him to leadership and and never influences anyone else in in helping that person in nurturing that person to leadership in calling that person to leadership so god calls people to leadership through other people this is how god operates now if you happen to come across a burning bush uh, praise god it doesn't happen very often these days and so both internal desire and external calling are equally important and the reality of life uh, is that quite often many of us many of you including myself uh, we will feel an internal desire but we may not yet receive a specific external validation you might think you're a leader you might think god is calling you but you might not yet receive an external validation so what do you do in those situations what do you do in those seasons of life simple serve and wait serve and wait as i look back as ajay and i we look back at our own journey we moved into mumbai 2005 we had this really really deep internal faith internal conviction that god was calling us to bombay and as much as we were intimidated by mumbai i mean chennai rents you you can you can uh, buy an entire apartment complex rent an entire apartment complex at the cost you would pay uh, for a three bedroom apartment in mumbai so so we were we were very intimidated we knew god was calling us but we had no idea what god was calling us so the internal desire was there even when we moved to mumbai we moved to mumbai 2005 
We experience the internal desire, but there's nothing happening externally for a long time. And so we just served and waited. We were part of a, a church that actually sent us out to plant this. It's called Bombay Baptist Church. For those of you who know, don't know, they're based in South Mumbai. We were living in Wadala. Um, service would begin at 10 a.m. Uh, Aji and I, we would be there at 9 a.m. just serving. We had this internal desire. Deep down, we, we just loved God's church. We just loved serving God's church. Uh, it wasn't easy for us. We were living in Wadala. We didn't have a car at that point in time. Warren was four years old. Aji was pregnant with, with Varsha. And uh, we needn't have gone at 9 a.m. every day, but, but the internal desire, consistent, sanctified internal desire. So we just served and served and served. Um, I think Ruchi, who's, she's, I think she's taking kids' church today, she, she was there at that church at that point in time. So all we did for a couple of years was ushering. So even now, today, if you see me going there and, and, and standing and welcoming people, that's just force of habit. Uh, so for two years, all we did was, Aji and I, we, that was a glorious ministry for us. We just stood at the entrance, ushered people and welcomed them, helped them find a seat. And uh, we just served and waited. And in God's time, he began to lay it on leaders in that church to slowly call us into, uh, in, into leadership. So godly calling, and, and, and we, we began to see God un- unfold his plans for us, his purposes for us. We had no idea of New City. We had no, in, even in our wildest imaginations at that point in time, uh, I was a business journalist uh, enjoying my career. I had no concept of church planting and I had no desire or, or even a vaguest notions that one day God would call Ajay and I to plant a church. So God's calling comes alive when our internal sense of calling to leadership is externally confirmed by other godly leaders. As we reflect on that, and especially in this season of waiting, there are two common mistakes of leadership that we all make. Very simple mistakes. Uh, either we are too eager to lead, or we are too afraid to lead. Too eager to lead, too afraid to lead. Uh, generally, people who are too eager to lead don't see their character flaws enough. And so, for if you are that category of people eager to lead and maybe not, not able to see your own blind spots enough, then the external validation of godly leaders is protection for you. God is protecting you. On the other hand, if you fall into the category of too afraid to lead, and these people tend to exaggerate their character flaws, they, they, say, they feel, oh, I'm, I'm never good enough. You know, that's, that's their default mode. So if you are in that category, too afraid to lead, then the external validation of godly leaders is provision for you. It's a provision of God's grace. So if you're afraid, when someone calls you, pause. Could this be God? I'm not saying every call is by a man is God's call. That's not what I'm saying. I can call people wrongly. I'll be the first one to admit that. I have called people wrongly in the past, and I will continue to do that. Uh, but it's my great privilege and joy to call people to service, to call people to leadership. It's for you to discern. That's the role God's given both of us. And he will help you discern. 
But calling is a non-negotiable aspect of leadership. So let's, let's, we must not try and manufacture calling. Uh, we must not shirk away from God's calling. Both, both are equal errors. Uh, the next aspect of leadership that this passage is calling us to see is character. Character is a very ambiguous word. I mean, it has different shades of meaning. It means different things to different people. And based on your spiritual condition, you can have character, you can define character in a way that's most convenient to you. So we've got to kind of come and arrive at a def- definition of character. So I want to define character very simply before we, I, I show us from this passage how God is placing an emphasis and God builds character in leaders. Uh, the best way to define character is through this very simple triangle. Character is truthfulness to self, truthfulness to God, and truthfulness to others. That's it. Being honest, brutally honest with ourselves, being truthful to God, being honest with others. People with good character are generally truthful to themselves, truthful to God, and truthful to others. People with bad character are not truthful to themselves, to God, to others. Peter was extraordinarily truthful to God, more, and we see this more than once in this passage. Uh, look at verse 4. Jesus tells Peter, go to the deep waters and let your nets down for a catch. Imagine you're a professional. You've worked on a presentation all night and it, it's a mess. And someone tells you, I'm going to help you. What's your first reaction? I, can, I got this. I got this. I can deal with this. Uh, it's almost done. Or I know this is good enough. I, I don't think I really need you. Or we become defensive and, 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 and white lies and, you know, it's almost done. You know, whatever. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, look at Peter. That day, Peter was an unqualified failure. He was an utter failure that day. And when Jesus tells him, he does not pretend to be a successful fisherman. Peter knew he had failed that day. He was honest to himself. He accepted to himself he had failed that day. And he accepted to Christ that he had failed that day. We toiled all night and we caught nothing. I am a failure today. Peter confessed to Jesus. It takes character to be truthful to yourself. And to God. Second, after that, soon after that, when when Peter had caught a large number of fish, so much fish that the boat almost began to sink, Peter did not look at Jesus and say, Thank you for helping me. You know, will you be a same day next, same time tomorrow? So we can catch some more fish together. Peter did not say, Lord, Peter did not break into deep spiritual prayer. Oh, years of my faithfulness, you have acknowledged. You have blessed me. I am blessed by you. Thank you for helping me this fish. And please come again tomorrow, Jesus. Imagine you've just cracked a really big deal. In that, in that high in your career, would you go to Christ and say, Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And I'll come to what Peter really meant by depart from you. Depart from me, Lord. Seems, confused, seems perplexing, but I think we'll see it clearly as we go along. In, in that high, 
I mean, I can think of many things Peter could have said. The last thing is, I'm a sinful man. From failure, he's gone to success. And he's not deluded by success. He's seeing his flaws. Peter is being truthful to himself. And he's only not only being truthful to God, to Christ, who's in his boat. He is being truthful publicly. The crowds are there. I don't know how far they were. Definitely his other friends were there. So he was just being truthful. Let me ask you a simple question. Is your assessment of how good you are in full alignment with your thought life? I can quickly, immediately answer this question based on personal experience, my own heart. In the light of the reality of my own thoughts, I know I live with an exaggerated sense of goodness, of my own goodness. If I were to be honest and ruthlessly objective in in putting all of my thoughts on one side and my own assessment of my own goodness on the other side, there's a complete disconnect. Complete disconnect. Thank God you don't know all my thoughts. God does. So, godly leaders are truthful to themselves. Peter cried out publicly in the presence of others. You know, one of the greatest lies we tell ourselves is that I'm spiritually okay. I'm doing well spiritually. That's one of the greatest lies we tell ourselves. I've I've told that to myself. I tell that to myself, present, continuous tense. Have you? How many times? I say this very carefully. I say this lovingly. I say this humbly. I say this acknowledging my own hypocrisy. There's no other word to describe that. My own hypocrisy. Uh, Not just me. Every pastor will tell you this. As a pastor, you do get to see how often people lie to themselves. Uh, the spiritual facade that we put on, myself first, uh, on Sundays compared to all other days. You know, I, I, I reflected on this. I reflected, why do I do this? My, my motivation is not to deceive people. My goal is not to deceive, manipulate. That's not my goal at all. And I realize that deep inside, I'm just ashamed to acknowledge my failure, my weakness, my sins, my frailty. It is shame, not deceit. I don't want to, I have no desire to deceive people, but I'm just ashamed of my failures, my weaknesses. And so in my shame, I hide. Do you know why leaders can be truthful? Godly leaders can be truthful, absolutely truthful to themselves? Because godly leaders know that there is no more shame. Because God himself, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross bearing your shame and my shame upon himself. 
Jesus died on the cross carrying the curse of your failure and mine, your sin and mine. He took it on himself. He experienced the worst shame anyone could ever experience. And I keep saying this often. If you look any, at any photograph or statue of Christ hanging on the cross, there's a waist cloth that's wrapped around his waist. That's for decency's sake. You read the Gospel of John, you will see that the soldiers cast lot for his garments. Jesus was crucified naked and lifted high. The shame he endured was not his own, but ours heaped on him so that the blessing, the righteousness, he, righteous life he lived could be given to us. We do need to live in shame. Godly leaders who don't get this, who live in pretense, can never be good gospel pace setters. Real character is being truthful to ourselves. And that brings us to the next aspect of leadership. We see that in Peter. He had that and God built that in his life. The next thing that I want to talk about from this passage the third non-negotiable aspect of godly leadership is competence. Um, in Christian circles, uh, people are quite confused about how to treat competence. Uh, in some circles, uh, the importance of competence is, is underestimated. You, you are unspiritual if you rely on physical, physical skills. Uh, you know... Uh, Things like character are underestimated. All that matters is, you know, signs and wonders and how you're moving in, in, in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and competence, and this seems to be almost mutually exclusive. So in some circles, competence is completely undervalued. Excellence doesn't matter. In other circles, character is played so much, sorry, in some circles, competence is underplayed. In some circles, competence is overplayed. Character is underplayed. And this tension between godly character and godly competence kills. There's always a tension between the two. And, and the Bible sees, does not see a tension between character and, 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 and competence. In talking about King David in Psalm 78, Psalm 78 to 72, the Bible tells us, with upright heart, David shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Upright heart, that's character. Skillful hands, that's competence. The Bible does not take an either-or posture in this tension that we feel between character and competence, but the Bible calls us to value both equally. At New City, when we say competence, it's the sum total of all of your natural skills and all of your spiritual gifts. Skills, things that the outworking, what's visible outside, what you do outside, character is who we are on the inside. The Bible values both character and competence. I hope you, you all agree that I'm a man of uh, at least some good character. Uh, but I can assure you, however good my character may be, however I may grow in my character, I can assure you I can never lead worship. I cannot sing for nuts. 
I, I just cannot sing. So, so in one sense, my competencies do draw a boundary on my calling. This is God's design. This is God's plan for me. This is how he, 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 he created me. Of course, God can do a miraculous thing. He can make, me, make even me sing, and that would be a miracle indeed. <laughs> but generally, our competencies, natural skills, spiritual gifting, do define our competence. You know, none of us are Christ. None of us can do it all. Right? We all have limitations. We'll come to that in a little bit. When God calls a leader, he does two things in the area of this person's competencies. First, God takes this leader's past experience. He considers it. I'm going to show us that it's God who actually orchestrated it. God takes past experience and then he touches, sanctifies, and transforms the leader's past experience to create a new calling. Look at what happened to Peter in this passage. Peter is a fisherman. And God is calling Peter to be a fisher of men. God is taking Peter's past experience into account and natural skills. God is, Christ is taking that into account. But he's also touching and transforming Peter's natural skills. Christ is now calling Peter to be a fisher of men. And this has some very practical implications for us. Your present natural skill and experience, your present spiritual gifts as well, may well be God preparing you, may well be a part of the future spiritual leadership that God is calling you to. Let me again, to illustrate this, just give one more example from my own own life. I spent over 25 years in business journalism. I'm still connected with the newspaper in some ways, consult for them. And in my 25 years in business journalism, I basically did two things. I interviewed professionals and entrepreneurs, and I wrote and edited articles. 25 years. And as I look back now, as I look back, I can see how these 25 years are directly related with God's call on my life as a church planter and a a pastor. What am I doing now? Right now, I'm shepherding professionals and entrepreneurs, and I'm writing sermons the skill is similar. Not the character, not the subject, that's God's word, different subject, but the skill of writing an article and putting a sermon on God's word are similar. So God touched and transformed. And I would even say, God orchestrated it. You see, it is God's design. This is how God chose in his sovereign good pleasure to prepare me. And all those 25 years, I desperately wanted to go to seminary. I wanted to be in full-time calling. But God did not, for reasons best known to him, and I gladly submit to that. Um, he, he orchestrated. What's God doing in you now? How is God shaping your present skills? What could he What is he orchestrating that you may not even be aware of? What is he going to touch and transform to develop you as a godly leader? The next non-negotiable aspect of, of godly leadership is community. Godly leaders always live and operate in community. 
when Jesus called Peter to leadership, Peter was already knit in a deep community. He and his brother Andrew and James and John were, were already journeying together. They were already partnering together. He was already embedded in community. And after they were called, Jesus called the 12 apostles to live in a closely knit gospel community. Jesus discipled them as a community. They prayed together. They ate together. They did ministry together. They traveled together. And as we can read from the accounts in the gospel, the 12 apostles made mistakes together. And they also learned from their mistakes together. They also had a conflict or two together. And after the death and resurrection and the ascension of Christ Jesus, the apostles, who were the earliest leaders of the church, continued to live and do ministry together as a gospel community. If you read the books of, book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, on the day of Pentecost, where, where Peter preached that first sermon, you can see that it tells us, verse 11, 14 tells us, that he stood with the leaven as he preached. Community. Godly leaders always live and operate in community. God rarely calls or makes a leader in a vacuum isolated from other brothers and sisters in Christ. Abraham had Lot. Moses had Aaron and Jethro and Miriam. David had his band of close friends. Nehemiah and Ezra were a team. Haggai, Zechariah were a team. Esther and Mordecai, Ruth and Naomi, Joshua and Caleb, Daniel and the three men. The Bible is full of leaders living and operating deeply embedded in gospel communities. The Apostle Paul, he traveled more extensively than any other person uh, in, in, in the early church. And so that's a great excuse to live apart from gospel community. Oh, I traveled so much. It's a great excuse, but, but let's look at Paul's life. But you rarely see the Apostle Paul operating solo. You rarely see him flying solo apart from gospel community, apart from deep gospel community. First, there was Paul and Barnabas and Luke who did that journey together. Then it was Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. Later, it was Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas. If you read all the epistles written by Paul, you can see how many people's lives, his life was deeply embedded in. Paul lived and operated in gospel community. The Bible is full of leaders that God called and used and shaped in gospel community. I keep saying this. Other people are part of God's grace flowing into our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22. In Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling, dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So if you consider yourself to be a leader, and if you, if you have leadership, good godly leadership aspirations, and you're not embedded in a, in a good gospel community, it's not good for your soul, and it's not good for whoever it is that you're trying to lead. There's no other way to put it. Every gospel leader, every godly leader needs to be embedded in gospel community. Second, every godly leader is called to live in a web of human relationships. And here's the thing. Here's, I think, uh, personally, I think this is one of the most important aspects of leadership. Whether it's your, at your career, uh, whether it's in society, or whether it's in church, whether it's in your family. Godly leaders 
know their place in the web of relationships that God has placed them in. Godly leaders don't throw their weight around. Godly leaders don't underestimate themselves and live with an inferiority complex. They know their place. I have a, a, a past. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but let me just say that I have a past which uh, part of, I've shared this with many people, part of the meta-narrative of my life, going back to my early childhood, was all about earning the love of others by being successful. So I had a compulsive need and still struggled with it at times, as some of you might, might want to tell me, but don't. <laughs> my wife does, she always tells me. Uh, so part of this is uh, the brokenness that, that, that was there in my life and still continues to influence me in some way. Part of it is uh, that I need to kind of be out there, if you, if you know what I mean. And it's taken me time. And I'm, I'm growing. And there are places when I uh, am in the midst of people who are far more accomplished than I am, far more successful than I am. And I'm learning to discern and humbly find my place, find the station God has called me to and be joyful and content in that. Uh, and that takes a lot of death to self, which only Christ can bring about. Godly leaders know their place. And so with those qualities, non-negotiable qualities from this passage, let me try and give us a picture of the kind of leaders that New City and every church should look to build, to look to develop and nurture and, and, and empower and, and, and release. Godly leaders, it'll come up for us on screen, godly leaders are called by God and are living for Christ and are growing in character and competence and are deeply embedded in gospel community even as they love and serve others sacrificially. I, I think that's a pretty healthy definition of godly leadership. It's not perfect. Uh, it's a healthy definition. And so let me close the sermon by going back to the thing that I started off with, living for Christ, the most important aspect of leadership, living for Christ. This incident begins and ends with an empty boat. In the beginning, the boat is empty because the four men have failed. And they have failed in fishing. They have left the boat and they are washing their nets. You know, I lived by the seashore for many years. I, I spent a lot of time with fishermen. Once I even took Aji on a catamaran ride to her utter horror. Uh, and I jumped into the water without knowing to swim, reckless as I was in my younger days. So I spent a lot of time with fishermen. So this, this, what the Bible mentions in one phrase is washing of the nets. It's tedious. Washing the net and, you know, untangling it is a really hard job. And to do it after a night of fishing with not a single fish in your net can be so disheartening. So there's an empty boat. There are leaders who failed. That's how this incident begins. That's verse 2. And he saw the two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them 
and were washing their nets. The boats were empty. Now look at verse 8 from the same passage. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. So this is when Jesus had blessed them with so much fish that the boat began to sink. I've always wondered, have you ever wondered why, why Peter said, Depart from me, Lord? I mean, if he was so uncomfortable being with Jesus, he could have gone. He could have just taken the fish and gone home. But why did, why did Peter say, Depart from me, Lord? You know, there's nothing spiritual or complicated about it. It's pretty simple. They were, both of them were in the same boat. Peter couldn't leave the boat and go because the boat was everything for him. The boat was his livelihood. The boat was his career. The boat was his identity. The boat was how he defined himself. The boat to him was what success was. The boat to him was what significance was. It was everything. Peter didn't want to leave the boat. And they were both in the boat, as we see from the passage. And so Peter says, depart from me. Please leave the boat, Jesus. I want, I want the boat to myself. Haven't our careers, and, and for me, my, my calling as a pastor, has that not become my boat? And how often have we said, let me be with my career, let me be with my ministry, and you go, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So Peter couldn't leave the boat because it was too important to him. But then look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed. That encounter with Jesus transformed them. They left, everything. They left the boats behind. You know, minutes after Peter said, depart from me, Lord, I want the boat. Please get off my boat. I'm not leaving the boat. You, may, you can leave the boat if you want to. I'm not leaving it. Minutes after that, Touched and transformed by the grace of Christ Jesus, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they leave the boat, they leave the catch, and they follow Jesus. Do you see the connection and the flow of all these three verses? Let me bring this to our hearts. Godly leaders live with an empty boat. Godly leaders are willing to lay down everything as Christ laid on everything for us. Jesus, all his life, Jesus lived with an empty boat. In our community Bible reading, seeing Jesus together, Luke chapter 9, verse 58, this past week, it's a verse which, which always moves my heart. It says, Jesus said, in a conversation with his disciples, Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. All his life, Jesus lived with an empty boat. And the song, All I Have is Christ, reminded me of the empty boat. We have nothing. If you feel a desire a call to leadership, to godly leadership, we must be shaped by Christ. All of life of a follower of Christ is a daily, slow journey of dying to self. Slow, daily, slow journey, all our lives of dying to self, giving ourselves up for others, as Christ 
gave himself up for us. And this morning, uh, as, as, as your pastor, it is my joy and godly responsibility to call you to this. Call every one of you. All of us are called to varying degrees. We know our place in where God has placed us. He can change that place. God gives grace to the humble. God lifts up the humble, but brings down the proud. In the station that you know, that you're discerning God has placed you, would you give yourself to godly leadership? Would you give yourself to dying to self and living for others as Christ died to himself and lived for us? Shall we pray? Father, we come before you. Um, It's so easy to preach these things, Lord. Uh, So hard to live it out. And so much daily, minute by minute, dependence is needed to live this out. And I pray this for everyone here, and I pray this for myself. Lord, may we be a community that speaks the truth and love to one another, which encourages, nurtures. And Lord, as we look back and saw the church as being the greatest leadership-making factory in the world, I pray, Lord, would you build, nurture leaders in your city? Would you help us all, myself first, to die to ourselves and, and live for Christ? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.